Our first lesson will serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. It comes from Isaiah chapters 8 and 9. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Good morning. How are you guys today? Have you guys heard of a man named Jacob before? Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And he had a twin brother named Esau. And you might remember, he kind of got into a fight with his brother Esau. And Esau was so mad at Jacob that he wanted to kill Jacob. And so Jacob ran away to protect his life. And while he was running away, the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the Lord made this promise to Jacob. He said, I am the Lord your God, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God made a lot of really big promises to Jacob. And then Jacob went away and he lived in a far off land for a long time. And then he was coming back to meet his brother Esau again. And he was scared. He was scared because he didn't know what Esau would do to him. And that's when we hear this really strange story about Jacob wrestling with God. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed a river called the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak? You say, what? That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? That Jacob is all alone, and all of a sudden he's wrestling with some guy who who knows where he came from. Listen to what happens next. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, 
he touched the socket, socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked Jacob, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. God appeared to Jacob as a man. And he wrestled with Jacob. And he even hurt Jacob by making his hip hurt super bad. But do you know what Jacob did? He held God to his promises. See, this is a really important picture, a really important lesson about what it's like for us to wrestle with God. God has made promises to you and me. He says, you are my children. He says, I love you. He says, I have forgiven all your sins. I have made you mine through the waters of baptism. Jesus is your savior. You're going to spend eternity with me in heaven. But sometimes when we're wrestling with God, he allows us to get hurt. Sometimes when we're wrestling with God in this life, things happen that hurt us very, very much. Even when it hurts, God wants us to do one thing. Hold him to his promises. God, you have promised me all these wonderful things. You must keep your promises. No matter how hard this life gets, no matter how sad we get, no matter how hard life can be and how much it can hurt, God wants us to hold him to his promises, just like Jacob did. And I want you to remember, that's why God changed Jacob's name. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. And the reason I'm telling you all this today is because today we're going to hear about a problem in Israel. The problem was that Jacob's descendants, the people of Israel, they were no longer holding God to his promises when things got hard. And sometimes we do the same thing. Today we're going to talk about how God would have us hold him to his promises no matter what. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made so many good promises to us. You have promised us that we are your own dear children, that we are forgiven, and that through Jesus we will be with you forever in heaven. Help us to be Israel. Help us to be those who wrestle with you and overcome by holding you to your sure promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Christ, the living bread from heaven, food for body, food for soul. Christ, the manna daily given, nourish, strengthen, make us whole. Feed us with the food of heaven, foretaste of the feast to be. Quench our thirst with living water springing up eternally. Amen. So when considering a portion of God's word like the prophet Isaiah that we're looking at today, the context is always very helpful. And A lot of times when we focus on a portion of the Old Testament like this, we'll focus on what we might call the immediate context. So 
what was happening right around the day when the prophet Isaiah was speaking to the people that God had him speak with. But today we're going to do something just a little bit differently. Today we're going to look at broader context. We're going to look at the the broader scene within which Isaiah is serving. And we've already laid the groundwork by going all the way back to the namesake of the people that Isaiah was serving, the people of Israel. It's really important today to just remember that simple definition of Israel, one who has wrestled or struggled with God and overcome. Jacob's name was changed to Israel because he held God to his promises. Even when it hurt, he still held God to his promises. And the main problem that had been popping up throughout the course of the people of Israel's existence between that wrestling match with God and the prophet Isaiah was often very similar. The people stopped holding God to his promises. And that's something that you and I can wrestle with as well. So what we're going to do today is I'm just going to read you verses 21 and 22 again, because these verses are filled with echoes of a very, very famous portion of Old Testament history. Listen to verses 21 and 22 again. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Ring any bells? It's very similar to the descriptions of God's people after they left Egypt. Remember what happened? In the book of Exodus, as God is bringing his people up out of slavery, they find themselves trapped between the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh. And they're scared. But that's, of course, when the amazing miracle happens where God parts the waters of the Red Sea and God's people walk through the Red Sea with these big monuments of God's power on their right and on their left as he holds back the waters of the sea. They walk through on dry ground. You know how it goes, right? They get to the other side. They're safe. And the waters come crashing down over the army of Pharaoh as they pursue the Israelites. You'd think that after seeing an incredible display of God's power like that and remembering the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to give the land they were heading to, to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those very people, Israel, who walked through the sea, what's the promise? You're going to get this land that was promised to your ancestor. You think God's going to let you die before you get there? Of course not. You'd think that after seeing that incredible example of God's power and and having the promises of God, that they would hold him to his promises and trust him no matter what. It only took three days for everything to fall apart. Listen to what happened in Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea And they went into the desert of Shur. 
For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place was called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Now they'll get it, right? Rough start, three days. They got a little thirsty and their thirst got the best of them. They started to suffer a little bit and they forgot to hold God to his promises. But now, now they'll get it, right? The whole community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, by the way, that's less than 30 days from the time that they crossed through the Red Sea. On the 15th day of the second month, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What got the best of God's people? Physical thirst and physical hunger. As soon as their mouths were a little parched, they got mad at God. As soon as their stomachs began to rumble, they turned away from his promises and began to doubt. Listen to those verses from Isaiah the prophet again. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. They will be thrust into utter darkness. What had happened to the people of Israel when they left Egypt had happened again, only this time it was spiritual thirst and spiritual hunger. The people had wandered away from God just far enough that they began to, to, to notice there were symptoms. And just like with physical thirst and physical hunger, there are symptoms. Your mouth gets dry, your lips start to crack, your, your stomach begins to rumble. There were spiritual symptoms too. They get worried and afraid and distressed, even angry. And what did they do when these thirst and hunger pains began to to rush over them. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. People got thirsty, the people got hungry, and they ran every which way except to the words and promises of God. Oh, these people can talk to the dead. Maybe they'll have some insight for us. These people are super spiritual. They've really connected with the spiritual realm. Perhaps they can help us to better understand why we feel the way we do. The point is they ran anywhere, everywhere, 
except for the one place that matters, to the words and promises of God. You ever do that? Spiritually thirsty, spiritually hungry. The symptoms might look a little different in your life than your life. There's a lot of different people in here, a lot of different contexts. Your immediate context as an individual, your broader context as an individual, a lot of different stories in here. I would assume there's just as many varying symptoms as there are people here. But you know the symptoms, right? As you begin to become distressed, as you become enraged and look upward and begin to shake your fist and have thoughts like cursing your king, your God, looking around at the earth and seeing only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. What is happening to the world? What is happening to society? What is happening to my family? What is happening to my life? Those are symptoms. Symptoms of spiritual thirst, spiritual hunger. Where do you turn? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. When you're in that place of spiritual thirst, spiritual hunger, you're, you're in the dark and you need light. And God is telling us that every other source of wisdom, every other source of instruction that's not the word of God, that's not his promises, only perpetuates the darkness. There is no light to illuminate. And that's when God brings us this beautiful gospel, nevertheless. There could not be a more beautiful word transitioning us from chapters 8 to chapter 9. Because God is talking to you and to me, just like he's talking to these wicked, rebellious people. Just like he's talking to people who didn't hold him to his words and promises, who went to other places and wandered around in the darkness, there's this beautiful, nevertheless, flawed as you are, God is faithful. Wrong as you and I so often are, God never breaks a promise. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And as you heard, it's no coincidence that that's where Jesus began his ministry. In the northern part of Israel, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, around the sea of Galilee, Remember the northern kingdom of Israel? They were the first ones to really go off the rails and they were the first ones to get scattered to the wind by the Assyrian army. God says, I'm going to send my Messiah, the light of the world, right into the heart of all the darkness. And into the heart of the darkness, Jesus, the light of the world, came. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders. 
the rod of their oppressor. There's more Exodus talk. Did you catch it? We don't know all the details of the people of Israel's slavery, but it wouldn't have been all that common, all that uncommon for slaves to find themselves chained together in a labor line or for two to have a rod over their shoulders yoking them together. They'd have to work together and, and couldn't separate or, or rise up against their slave drivers. Those who are spiritually thirsty, spiritually hungry, slaves to sin, death, and the devil, what did Jesus come to do? He came to shatter the yoke that burdens us, the bar across our shoulders and the rod of the slave drivers. Jesus came to shatter those things, to remove that slavery forever. He promised to do it and he has kept that promise. Because Jesus came into this world, the light of the world shining in the darkness, you have been freed freed from your sin, freed from your slavery to sin, death, and hell. Jesus earned that freedom when he became a sacrifice for sin once and for all with his death on the cross and defeated death once and for all when he rose from the dead. What does this celebration look like? What does it look like for people who thirst to have their thirst quenched, for people who hunger to have that hunger satisfied? Well, the celebrations described here might be a little hard for 21st century Americans to relate to, but if you try, I think you can. You have the blessing of grocery stores, which I know you appreciate. You can satisfy any craving any hour of the day. Many of them are open 24 hours a day, but if you didn't have that, if you relied on the harvest and the Lord blessed you with a good harvest where food could be stored up for the whole year, what do you think the celebration of that harvest would have been like? That's what the celebration is like for people who know God has kept his promises, for people who hold God to his promises. How about the picture of victorious war? It's hard for us to imagine the pain of war, going to battle, losing loved ones, perhaps even enemies invading our own land. But could you imagine what it would be like for the battle to be over, for the victory to be sealed that celebration, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, that's what it's like to celebrate quenched thirst, hunger satisfied by the living manna, bread from heaven, eternal spring of living water that is our Savior Jesus. The Apostle John made it very clear that those who know Christ show it. They don't hate their brothers and sisters, they, they love them. As you leave here today and you ponder all that we have considered, what it looks like to hold God to his promises, listen to the words of instruction, the words of warning. Prepare yourself to better identify those thirst and hunger pains. If you catch yourself hating people, big red flag, you're thirsty, you're hungry. If you find yourself distressed, worried, afraid, angry, those are hunger pains, thirst, longing to be quenched. Remember the only source of living water and bread from heaven. 
Let's pray. Christ, the living bread from heaven, food for body, food for soul. Christ, the manna daily given, nourish, strengthen, make us whole. Feed us with the food of heaven, foretaste of the feast to be. Quench our thirst with living water, springing up eternally. Amen.